Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 306, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Chelsea and Wade and talk about budgeting with variable income. So I own my own business because I want to have the flexibility and the autonomy and the freedom to do whatever I want. And that's sort of my personality anyway, is I don't really want people to tell me what to do. So having the flexibility to do that is really cool because I can work three days a week and see the amount of number of do the amount of number of sessions that I want versus somebody telling me I need you to do 35 sessions a week. And then me just walking around as a burnt out zombie. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my Obi-Wan can know it all co-host Scott Trench. Ooh, the force is strong with our recommendations in this episode, Mindy. That came from our Facebook group. Somebody suggested that and I love it. Okay. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start and scale your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am super excited to talk to Chelsea and Wade today because they have a problem that a lot of people have. They have variable income, widely variable income, and it can sometimes be difficult to budget when your income is up one month and down one month or down two months in a row or down even three months in a row, you can start to feel like, "Mm, I'm not really doing it right. So today we talk to them and give them some ideas for how to handle their variable income. Yep. Love it. I think it was a great discussion. They're doing a lot of, a lot of things really right. Um, and I hope that it's an interesting, um, perspective on what life is like, um, and building wealth, um, from a self-employed perspective with two spouses who are self-employed. Yes. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, They've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high-cash-flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Before we bring them in, let me satisfy my attorney by saying the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. I don't think I would be a very good auctioneer. Do you, Scott? No, but I think you satisfied our attorney. <laughs> I did. Chelsea and Wade are on the path to 
financial independence, but they have widely variable monthly income, anywhere between $5,000 a month and $26,000 a month. Coupled with ever-changing monthly expenses, they've been having difficulty creating a budget. And on top of that, they're both self-employed, making insurance another wrinkle to iron out. Wade and Chelsea, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Thank you so much for having us. This is a dream come true. Well, let's get into this because we have a lot to unpack. What is your income and where does it go? Okay. So we are both self-employed, like you said, and um, I'm a professional counselor with a private practice. And so my income varies, but it's more consistent than his. So uh, last year I brought home $51,000 and that came out to about like 4,000 a month. And that's net income after tax. Yes. Hitting your bank account. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And so my income varies a lot more uh, because I, I'm a filmmaker. And so I, I do projects where, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll make like $26,000 in a month. Um, and sometimes I will make $0 in a month. Um, and it's also it gets a little more complicated on, a, on the business side because I have a really high gross income. Um, last year, my business gross was like $225,000, um, but that's because I'm paying lots of contractors. So it may look like I'm making a lot of money, but after expenses and contractors, my my income for my net is is much lower. Awesome. And what is that? What does that kind of come out to annualized? Okay. So so my net income is eighty six thousand dollars for my business, and that's again after tax. After tax, yes. Awesome. Okay, great. So that's not that's not that's not bad. It's about one hundred and thirty seven thousand in total uh, annual income. Yep. Um. Any any other sources of income um, throughout the year? Nope. Nope. Not right now. Great. Uh, what about expenses? Where's that money going? Okay. So we'll kind of go through everything. So our mortgage insurance taxes comes out to $1,684 a month. Utilities range from $250 to $350 a month. Groceries are $850, eating out $120. Uh, household products like cleaning stuff, um, Sometimes kids stuff is in there too, 300, gym, 170, gas, around 300. That varies too. Um, Subscriptions like Netflix, 27, health insurance, 488. Because we don't have traditional health insurance, we pay for a lot of extra medical things out of pocket. So that can really vary from like zero to sometimes 700 or more a month. Uh, car insurance is a hundred life insurance is 31. We budget for entertainment around 200 a month, miscellaneous 200 kids stuff, 200. These vary a lot. Uh, childcare. We aren't currently paying for childcare, but we will be in the summer. That's looking like it'll be around 850 a month for the summer. But then both our kids will be in school, so we won't pay during the school year for childcare. Um, we give $500 a month. Um, we save $300 a month for our kids' college. Then we each have a spending money of $50 a month. And then we have a dog, and she requires sometimes, most of the time, very little, but around $45 a month. Yeah, so total, that is... Six thousand dollars is around kind of 6, 000, yeah yeah around six thousand is is our monthly expenses. Awesome, and that, that seems like a super reasonable budget for from 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 my seat from from that with maybe a little room but not much from a, a cut perspective. Is that kind of how you're feeling about it? Yeah, absolutely. I have been tracking our spending with Mindy's recommendations since November or October ish. So we've always kind of had a budget or more. It's been like an outline of like, this is what we're kind of planning, but because our income is variable and there's lots going on, um, it's, it's sort of like, this is the best guess. And so we just kind of go for it. Um, well, let's go through your, your assets and liabilities. Can you walk us through where you're, where you're putting that money? Yeah. So Chelsea has a Roth IRA. Um, she's got 10,000 in there. Her SEP IRA has 26,000. I have a Roth that's five and then a SEP that is 7,500. So total retirement savings right now is 48,000. 
And that is, so that's our retirement. Um, and then you can go through the others. And then right now we have uh, two kids. We have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we have about 6,000 saved for college. It's about 3,000 each right now. Um, we have an emergency fund of 30,000. We have other cash savings in a savings account, just a general savings account of 34,000. And then we have our current home equity at 140,000. And we also have money in our separate business accounts, but that's for like some time, some of it's going to go to pay us, but some of it's going to go to the business. So yeah, I don't know how you want to do that, but yeah, it's, it's mainly business savings or it's for cash flow for, for business or paying ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So our, our, our total net worth is around 300,000. Awesome. So half of that's in essentially half of that's in your home equity. Mm-hmm. Um, another third is in cash and the rest is in going to, is going to in various retirement accounts is how to yep. think about that. Does that three hundred thousand include the business account money right now? Yes. Yes, okay. that does. Yeah, and and so right now Chelsea has about a eleven thousand in in business savings, and then I have right now about forty thousand in business savings. So that and, that does kind of equal more to the the three three hundred thousand. Yeah. And you said you had two hundred twenty five thousand in expenses or in in revenue for your business last year. And then you had like 130,000 in expenses between contractors and taxes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So that, that, yeah, that seems super reasonable there. But what, what are your goals and how can we help you? Yeah. So we just wanted to chat with you guys a little bit about if you had any suggestions on our variable income situation. Uh, we have come a long way with that. And we've actually gotten the opportunity to achieve a lot of goals while we have been on this journey because Wade's income has been variable for our most of our marriage for the last 12 years. And I've been in school for a lot of that. So it's really within the last five years that I finally started making money, which has helped uh, us achieve paying off debt. We paid off $50,000 in student loans. Awesome. Um, and we saved up a ton of money last year to put a down payment down on a house for, for us. And so we, we have like a lot of good momentum going, um, but we just want some help with kind of, if you have any suggestions on the variable income, and then we're really long-term looking to be financially independent. And we would like to start moving into real estate and specifically investing into short-term rental real estate so we can have some residual income. Um, how, how long did you say you've been both generating income at this level? So at this level, probably three years. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So you're not going to have any prob- problem from a debt perspective. Um, you, m- you might have to talk to a couple of lenders who are, are going to be more comfortable with self-employed folks, but but you will, you'll have enough income history with both of your professions to, to be able to, to qualify on that front. Um, exactly. well, well, just, just kind of like looking at this great job. You've got a great situation. You've got a really strong financial foundation. You've got $300,000 in net worth. You have no, no consumer debt. It sounds like aside from your mortgage, um, on this, and you've got a huge cash position and are beginning to invest and you know, have, have a, a, a very good start from an investment standpoint, um, in, in these things. So, I, I love the fact that you have a lot of cash. You may have slightly too much cash. We can think about that um, from there, but it makes a lot of sense to do that when you're self-employed and to have separate business and personal um, items there. And you're, you generate 50 or 60 or $70,000 per year, um, although it is lumpy, seasonal, or perhaps periodic. I'm not sure which is the right term to describe your, <laughs> your income, um, but but, uh, but I mean, this is a great, great position here. So like the fundamentals, I think are all super strong as an outside observer about what you're currently doing right now. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, so where would you like to start with, with, uh, the, the next steps here? I want to start. I'm going to look at this as Chelsea brings in 4,000 a month and Wade is bringing in on average 7,000 a month. That's $11,000 a month with approximately a $6,000 a month spend. So that's 
a $5,000 a month Delta that you have. That's great. We don't spend enough time celebrating. So yay, that's fantastic that you guys are spending so much less than what you are bringing in. But on those months when you're only bringing in $5,000, it's not going to feel like that. And if there's several months like that in a row, it can feel like there's this huge deficit when then Wade brings in the boom, here's 26,000. Yay. You know, that's great. I would suggest if I was in this situation, I would have a savings account or a bucket where I put extra money from these $26,000 months where there's extra funds over and above what you're spending that you know you will need for the lean months and have money in there available for when there's not enough. Um, and, you know, go back through your, your spending and your income statements and, and look and see, you know, is that three months a year that you have, you know, less income than what you're spending? Or is it more like six months and then you get this one giant month? Um, and that's, you know, that's a research opportunity for you guys to look into where, you know, where you're going to feel comfortable having that extra bucket. You do have this $34,000 in other cash savings. Does that have an earmark or is that just a random bucket for whatever comes up? That is our, the money that we're saving for a short-term rental. Okay. Um, and, and so our, our goal is, is to basically put as much money into that as possible so that we can have a down payment for a short, short-term rental in the next year. Uh, that's, that, that is our goal to be able to purchase a, uh, some real estate in the next year. So that that is why that number is okay. high. And then the emergency fund, do you, like on a month where you're coming in lower than you're spending, where is that money coming from? It's the it's the emergency fund. I mean, typically that $30,000 savings account is our emergency fund. So if we have a low month, we take money out of that 30,000 to pay for personal expenses. Um, and then when we have a bigger month, we recoup it and then put it back. So it stays at 30 as best as we can. Okay. And does that feel mentally comfortable to have that emergency fund ebbing and flowing like that? Or would it feel better mentally to have this bucket where the emergency fund is $30,000 and then the light income this month fund is, you know, $10,000 because you know, you're going to put more in when you need it, but that's not coming out of your specific emergency fund. A lot of this personal finance stuff is, is a mental game where you have to just kind of convince yourself that this is how it's going to be. And sometimes you can't, so you have to allow it to be the way that your mind wants it best. I mean, that's so like floofy to say, but you know, if your mind is having a hard time wrapping around the fact that you can pull from your emergency fund, maybe having an income bucket will allow you to be okay with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that's something to consider. Um, you know, take some out of the emergency fund and put it into your income bucket, or maybe you've got a $26,000 a month month coming up and then you can fill up that little extra emergency bucket because you're not doing bad at all. You're doing really great. Number one, you've got a great average income and you're spending far less than that. But again, three months in a row of less than average income is going to not make it feel like you're doing all that great. So that's that mental game that your mind can't like sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. I I I mean look, there's there's lots of right ways to do your cash. Yours is is among the most right I've ever seen. I love this. <laughs> I think you have you have you have a, a lot of variable expenses in your business account weighed. So you have forty thousand bucks. Uh, and, and Chelsea, you have, it sounds like probably much less. So you have 11,000 bucks in that business account. Those seem like reasonable numbers. I'm sure you arrived at that through similar logic. You have a 30,000 as your number for emergency reserve. You're probably feeling really uncomfortable if that ever dips below like 15 and it probably never does, um, is what would be my guess. And so you're just like, pull a little bit out, replenish it. That's the point. That's how you, exactly how you do it. And then everything else goes into, and, and you've already made your determination. Your prioritization is short-term rental. It's not index funds. It's not your 401ks. You've already determined that. Um, and, and that's why everything else is going to the, the investment for that. So I, I think it's perfect. And I think your, your next step is, um, you can, you can fiddle with that if you need to, but it, it's a great, it's a great system. I, I love it. And now you've got the surplus going ready to be invested in, in, into real estate in your short-term rental. 
So can we, can we hear about what you're thinking from the short-term side? Yeah. So something I wanted to say about that currently I am also investing into retirement and so is Wade. So I feel, um, that we are in our early thirties and we are just starting our quote unquote traditional retirement savings. And this was something I wanted to ask you guys. We feel like we just started, but you know, so I'm like, do we need to be right now? I put in about a thousand dollars a month into either a Roth IRA or the SEP IRA. And I don't know how much do you put in? Uh, it depends. Like right now I'm, I'm putting most of my extra money towards the savings, towards the, the short-term rental. But when we don't have a big goal, I, I do about 20% of my net income will go towards my retirement accounts. That's, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last six months, um, or I guess last year. Uh, so I, yeah, what Chelsea's saying is like, we're, we're trying to figure out, do we, do we try to come at, at this goal of a short-term rental and a more balanced perspective of still putting money towards our retirement accounts, our index funds, essentially, and save up as best as we can for the short-term rental? Or do we go like all in and put in all of our extra cash towards saving for the short-term rental so that we can buy it sooner than later? Well, I, I think that um, you know, as long as you get the money in in the calendar year, into your retirement vehicles, it, it shouldn't, it, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen, the other, as my mom used to say, okay. uh, it's the same thing. Um, so, so I, 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 I think it doesn't quite, quite matter there. I think it's whatever you feel is the one that's going to get you to your goals faster, which my instincts based on what we've talked about just this far is going to be, is going to be a short-term rental. So, you know, let, let's, let's think about it over the course of 2022. If things go the same as last year, you're going to generate 60,000 additional dollars, or let's call it 45, 40,000 additional dollars. Cause we're um, now at the end of April with this, right? So that's going to be $74,000 that you can add to your other cash savings to buy the short-term rental. How much do you need from a down payment to buy that, that property? Wow. Yeah. We're still kind of in the research phase right now. Um, we've, we've thought about, probably a property around 600 or 700,000. Um, and so in order to get to like the 10%, um, we're going to need, you know, 60 to $80,000 in cash. Um, but with closing expenses and all there is with the short-term rental, maybe a little bit more. So maybe like 90 is probably more realistic of what we would really want. Yeah. And just to clarify, we're looking to buy a short-term rental in a traditional uh, sort of short-term rental market like uh, Smoky Mountains or Florida, um, Joshua Tree. We're kind of looking at some of these more traditional places and uh, willing to put quite a bit down so that we can see more residual income every month from it. Okay. Well, you, you are in position to do that right now. Your cash position would allow for that if you were to uh, I'll, I'll pull that from these other places. You're probably uncomfortable with doing that, which I think is 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 great. It's a great mentality um, to have with the way you manage your cash. But you have $110,000 in cash right now um, to buy that short-term rental. If you, you know, and so one way to re- reframe that would be to bucket all of your cash together into one lump and say, what is the lump amount that would make me feel comfortable with my overall cash position to to move towards that? The other option is keep doing what you're doing and pile on the, 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 that amount. And you know that you'll get there within 12 months. You'll be able to generate about $60,000 um, and be probably at the minimum threshold to comfortably buy that investment with your outside cash position. I see Mindy shaking her head here. That gives me the heebie-jeebies to suggest that because that's every single penny that they have thrown into one investment. And then there's not really a... Buffer. I'm not saying they should they should do that. I'm saying that they could they, they could, could do, do that. that. Right don't, don't so it's do their that. conservative nature that is allowing that 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 is going to put them in there probably appropriately to some degree. But like it doesn't have to be a year from now. You 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 could say you could you could look at your situation and say it is reasonably responsible for you guys to have fifty thousand dollars in cash across all of your cash accounts based on the, the numbers you provided us instead of $110,000 in cash, right? Um, across all of those different accounts and to run your life out of one big bucket, because there's no, there's nothing preventing you at the end of the day from taking a distribution from your businesses or committing capital back into your business, right? It's just 
you literally just move the money from one bank to the next um, if you want to do it in, 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 in order to, to, to take care of that. So that that's more what I'm saying is, is you can do that right away and you can probably still contribute something to your retirement accounts this year because of the surplus cash that you currently have and the cash flow that you're going to generate. So I don't think you, I think this is one of those cases where you have to prioritize to some degree. You can't probably max out your contributions to your 401, your, your, I guess your, your SEP IRAs, um, and your Roths this year, but you can do some good damage there and still probably accumulate, put yourself in position to buy that short-term rental by the end of the year, I, I would think. Yeah. That's what kind of we were thinking too, is by the end of the year. Yeah. And I guess another question I have for you guys too, is do you think it's, like smart for us to try to purchase a home that's a little bit more money that has the potential to have higher earnings or do we be more conservative and purchase a home maybe in the 400 range but has way less earning potential is it is it worth that risk of spending more for more money well i i think you you buy you invest for roi right and in your case that's just a matter of delaying by a few months if you think that that to to, to stock up more cash right you need to save up you know 400 versus 600 that's a third bigger so you need to save a third more cash you want to put that down um uh to to, to generate that uh as long as you're you're you know you're not going to be crushed by the mortgage payment which you have to underwrite to but i i like investing for roi um, I'd rather have one one bigger one investment that produces a great return that's a little bigger than a smaller investment that produces less net return, less ROI, less IRR. Yeah, that was kind of our thought too. Yeah, my thought with regards to demand is I have a really really big family, like enormously big family, and there aren't that many properties that we can all fit into comfortably. There's like six in America that can fit us all. And they're always booked up because there's only like, I'm talking, they sleep 60 people where it's a huge house that sleeps 60 people. And those are always booked up. And yes, it's going to cost like a lot more than $600,000, but those there's a huge demand because there's no supply. So that's something to consider. I mean, obviously not a 60 sleeper, but you know, maybe there's people that are looking for 14 or 20 sleepers that, you know, you can a little bit more initially may yield a lot more, uh, a lot less vacancy because somebody is always looking for that and they'll, you know, oh, well, I'll just reschedule my vacation for when this is available. I know that's how we scheduled our uh, vacation is when they actually had a uh, weekend that was available for us. So um, I wouldn't have thought that there were a lot of demand for that, for big properties like that. I, I think it'll hundred percent vary by market, right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's no reason if, if you're interested in investing anywhere in the country, there's no reason why you can't find a similar ROI with at 400,000 price point as 600,000 price point. If there are specific markets that you're studying and know really well, that may well be the case. And that may, may sway your decision there. Um, for, for example, I wonder aloud if right now, like the best way to generate ROI in like Denver, Colorado would be to buy a million dollar property with an ADU and a single family house on it and live in the ADU and Airbnb out the single family house because you can't Airbnb property in Denver unless you live in the property, um, as your primary residence. So probably very few people who can actually purchase a million dollar single family residence are willing to do that. And therefore there's going to be very limited competition and lots of demand, um, uh, for that property. So there may be something like that, um, that gives you an advantage, um, in, in, in whatever market you're in per Mindy's point, bigger, better, nicer property, more amenities. Um, yeah, I think you're thinking about it. Great. Another thing to think about is the taxes. I, you're looking at Florida, uh, are the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee or Kentucky? I get those two. Tennessee is the area yeah. that we're looking at. I get Tennessee. those yeah. states confused. And so Florida, Tennessee, and California. Not knowing anything about any of these, I know California is going to have super high taxes. I know they're going to have income taxes. I know they're going to have, if you do an LLC in California, they're going to have LLC taxes. That's going to be just like not doing any research at all, that's going to be at the bottom of my list simply for the taxes. Um, 
And it doesn't matter if you live there or not, I believe. So that like Florida is very tax friendly. I think they have lower taxes. Um, I know that Smoky Mountains is the number one most visited uh, national park in the country because it's so close to like two thirds of the population of the country or something like that. So that's a really great market. And they had a fire a few years ago that like wiped out all of everything. So they don't have a ton of um, a ton of property. Like they've been rebuilding, but they their rules are more relaxed, I believe, with regards to uh, mm-hmm. rental properties like this. I think it took out a lot of hotels too, but it's been long enough that I can't really remember now. So, like of these three areas, I like the Smoky Mountains best. I would reach out to a real estate agent and just ask, like, what can I expect? from a property in this area? Like, what am I looking to pay? What is my vacancy rate going to be? And what are my taxes going to be? Like, if I can make the same amount of money in Florida as I can Smoky Mountains, but, you know, for half the price, then maybe Florida is looking better. Or if I can make, you know, if I have less less occupancy in Florida, then maybe Smoky Mountains looks better. Um, I'm sorry to throw California under the bus. I love it. Where do you live right now? We live in Western Colorado. What, what's the, but what, what's the, what, what like we know we're in Colorado. So what, oh, which, which Grand, Junction. Grand Junction, Grand Junction. Why, why not, um, why not consider the, the, the areas local to Grand Junction, like Palisade or why, why go out of state? Um, we've definitely thought about that. I, we need, we're just kind of doing, you know, kind of in the beginning of this journey too, with like, even just reading general things about having a short-term rental. Um, and I just don't know the market of short-term rental here very well, but I know that tons of people actually, you know, obviously come to Palisade for the wineries and tons of people come to Fruta for the mountain biking. So there's definitely need here, I think, but it would be a good, like Mindy says, research opportunity to look into because that could be a really great route to go, especially maybe for our first property because it's local. We maybe have that comfort that we could just zoom over if we needed to kind of thing. Don't they have world-class fishing and elk hunting over near Fruta and Craig and like all that area? I was talking to somebody who was saying that there's a, a need for that as well. Um, that's not my thing, so I don't know, but somebody else. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely on the Colorado river, there's lots of fly fishing. That's hugely popular, um, more towards the mountain mountainous areas. Like the hunting lodges are super popular for sure. Um, in Fruta, like in like the, the city, like grand junction, and then there's Palisade and Fruta. There's not a ton of like hunting tourists that come to the town. It's more in Fruta. There's the bike riders and the then hikers, hikers yeah. outdoorsy people. And then Palisade is the the wine. There's, there's lots of wineries. So there, there is definitely lots of potential where we live. The hard part is there's not a whole lot of houses available. Um, it's just that the market's super hot right now. Everybody wants to buy stuff. Um, like when we bought our house last year, we sold our old home and it, I think we had 10 offers in the matter of like 24 hours. We got like $30,000 over asking price. So in Colorado in general, it's just a really hot market. So I think that's why we're like, if we want to like try to buy in this crazy market right now, mm-hmm. but in this, in a sense, it's kind of like that everywhere really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's how I would think about it is it's going to be like the whole nation has got, issues around around those types of things and what it comes down to is i think in terms of roi right and the major advantage to investing 20 minutes 30 minutes away from where you live is going to be the ability for you to self-manage the property in the early days and learn a bunch of those things instead of paying that fee to somebody else and that's not going to be a 10 percent management fee when you for short-term rental it's going to be 18 percent or more um or or a significantly higher one and so that and that's not including the cleaning fee by the way so it's not this is not saying you're going to go and clean the prop although you can do that as well to, to save money but that's that's the uh um the 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 management costs will be significant for a lot of these short-term rentals and if you can at least get started with that you know, you're going to be able to, 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 by the way, trying to self-manage something in the Rocky Mountains, 
Like you don't know if there's like cer- certain times of year that have actually really high tourist activity in the Rocky Mountains because of this event or that happens at this point in the year or whatever. And you do know that for Palisades, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, put in place the right pricing at those times of the year. You know, oh, this is my heavy demand time where I need to make all my money, and this is the light demand time where I'm going to make less and want to pounce on, you know, a long term, you know, someone who wants to stay there for three months in this part of the year or whatever that is. So that those will be advantages that you'll get, especially in the early years. I think from investing locally as a bias, as opposed to somewhere you don't know as as well because you don't live in there, and it's just it all comes down to ROI. So if it's close. The tie goes, in my opinion, to something that's highly local to you. Um, if it's not close, then you go out of state. Um, but that, w- that would be how I'd bias you to think. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. 
customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, we also have Moab like an hour away, and a lot of people go to Moab, so... Moab's There's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Moab's kind of expensive too. Who'd we talk to that wanted to build huts next to Moab? Oh yeah. I can't remember. We had, we had a thought about that. Yeah. Like build a tiny house somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think there's a lot of stuff in your back door that is maybe not, you know, your back door, but I think, I think, you know, lots of people around the country are probably thinking like, well, Colorado is a great place for short-term rentals for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, even as you guys are thinking about going somewhere else. Um, so right. something to think cool. about, but that would, that would be, I, I would, I would at least explore it. If it doesn't work out, go somewhere else. But what, what I am gathering at the strategic level is you, you're still early into this journey and you probably have six more months of research and self-education to do before buying your first property. Um, and so what that might do um, is you're probably going to accumulate that cash that's going to put you in position to buy that within the next six to 12 months, regardless of whether you max out your retirement accounts um, or not. And so if you're not sure and you're still in the research phase, maybe you do bias more towards the retirement accounts uh, uh, and those types of things for this year um, or for the next couple of months, and then kind of get more aggressive about stockpiling the cash when you have much more clarity on what you want to do from an investment, a real estate investment standpoint. So that, that'd be maybe one takeaway from this conversation that might be worth considering. Yeah. I, I think that's good because we, like you're saying, we not quite at the point where we have all of our ducks in a row, as far as our education, like we we've been researching the Smoky mountains and like Destin, Florida Emerald coast area quite a bit. And so we know, we know, a lot about that. And we've looked at kind of on just online, just looked at properties and what the ROI would be and that kind of stuff. But we have not really looked around us at all. So I think that's, that is a really good suggestion for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there'll be, if you're going to find an inefficiency um, or another way of putting that a good deal, um, it's probably going to be local to you as well. So there'll be something that, Oh, this is exactly what the market needs and I need to make these changes and that's how I'll do it. That's going to be a lot harder in Destin um, for you, mm-hmm. unless you, unless you're from there, for example, but yeah, I know that, know that market particularly well for some reason. So yeah, cool. All right. Well, do we have, what, what's another, are there any other areas that we want to explore here and, and talk about? Yeah. There was one more area regarding our kids college uh, fund. I haven't really heard a lot of talk about this. So I think this would be a great conversation to have. I'm not sure that our kids will go to college. Times are changing. Things are changing. You can do so much now without going to college. Wade didn't go to college. I went to a ridiculous amount of college, but um, I think I think we need to kind of figure out a direction to go with this because we've kind of just been putting some money into college savings thinking, okay, we want to save something for our kids, but we don't really know what to do. I think ideally I would like to save in an account that's more flexible than a college account, even if it doesn't have the super, super tax benefits to it, just so that we can utilize that money, how we need to at that point for them. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on this for saving, saving for kids? And our kids are seven and four. Yeah. I have lots of thoughts on this. I have two kids. They are 15 and 12. So way closer to college age than yours are. You have saved $6,000 for your kids. And that is $6,000 more than I have saved for my kids for college. And I do believe that my kids are going to go to college, at least the older one. But that's not for sure, for sure, because you never know what your kids are going to do. And I didn't want to save in a 529 plan because if I put in $10,000 and then she doesn't go to college, but it has grown to $29,000 over the course of her life, I only have $10,000 for me. I can like, if I want to pull it back out, all I get is what I put in. I don't get all those gains. I don't know where they go, but they don't go to me. They don't go to her. I could reallocate that to her little sister. If she was going to go, I could give it to a niece or a nephew, but I don't get them back. Whereas if I put that money into an investment account, 
all of that money is mine, or I can use it for her college, or I can put her through wedding planner school or film school or, you know, whatever she wants to do, I can use that money how I choose. Or she can say, you know, I'm leaving the house and I'm never going to talk to you again. And then it's still my money. And, you know, that's a horrible situation to be in, but I don't want to give that control to somebody else. So because you have $6,000 in there, I would just opt to leave it. If I was in your position, I would opt to leave it. And I would open up an after-tax brokerage account in my name, not in the child's name, and put money into there for their college. and Or just put money in there and use it for college when it comes up. Or use it to you know, however you want, because it's your money. And then that is, now that is going to, because it's an after-tax brokerage account, that's going to count against your uh, income or assets for FAFSA. But that's like, that's a problem for t- 10 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with, with Mindy, I think at the highest level uh, in, in principle there. And I'll add in that, um, you know, I, I speculate that, college education costs are going to come down in real dollars relative to inflation over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, The reasons why I think that will happen first have to do with the amount of student loan debt out there. Either one political party is going to come in and forgive a large amount of that debt um, or the, uh, and after that happens, you'd, you'd think that there will be new restrictions on new access to debt to fund college, which will reduce uh, ease of which people can get loans and therefore bring costs down, demand down, right? Another party may not do that. And there may be, there will be a reform of student loan debt at some point in the future, regardless <laughs> um, if, if, if uh, uh, some of those events happen. So I think there's going to be a student loan restructuring at some point in the next decade or two um, that will impact college affordability. We're also becoming more and more, I think, cognizant as a society about the ROI of college and how it may not be necessary for a lot of things. So I think it will be less of a, you're going to college and more of a calculated decision depending on, on your career field. So I, I think for those reasons, um, it may be it may be a risk that folks are over saving for college, not in the short term, not in three to five years, but maybe in ten to fifteen years. Um, perhaps that's a speculation. I don't know if that's right, but that's what I'm going to speculate on uh, personally for my family. Uh, and then second, I think that if you do want to pay for college, a better way to pay for college, um, it, it, well, a, a way to do that in, con- in conjunction with what I just said is just build wealth in general in real estate or stock accounts or whatever it is that you're investing in, and then use that wealth to provide benefits for your family, like private school, if your kid ever needs that um, for some reason, for a special reason, or college, or a trip around the world, or um, tuba lessons, if they're superstar at that, whatever it is, that I think is a better, more beneficial way to just build general flexibility. And the 529 plan does not offer that um, for the most part. So I, I probably won't contribute much at all to a 529 plan with a possible exception of, I know my kid's going to college. I'm two years away from college. I got a pretty good, clear idea of what college is going to cost. And I'm going to take advantage of that that plan in the short term here to put that money in and take it right back out for college um, in a few years. So I might do that at the, the ending stages if I'm getting really close to college. That would be how I think about the 529 plan and, and saving it for college at a, at a high level. Yeah. I really like that. And just a couple of weeks ago, we released an episode with Robert Farrington from thecollegeinvestor.com, episode 297, where we talk about uh, paying for college and saving for college in lots of different avenues. Um, I think it was episode 41 or 44 with uh, Zach Gautier, where we talked about different ways to pay for college as well. Both of those are really great episodes to listen to. Um, and we had episode 251 with Preston Cooper, where he talked about the ROI of a college degree, something to consider before you put yourself or your children through college. And uh, he was just back last week um, on episode 293 or a few weeks ago on episode 293 talking about the ROI of a graduate degree. So, you know, things to consider as you're getting closer to college age, but, um, not, I mean, that's not imminent for you, but those are just, you know, different ways to save 
there's uh, in both of those episodes, there's uh, longer term and shorter term ways to save for college. Cool. I like that. It would just be a shame to have a lot of money in the 529 plan and then not use it um, <laughs> for, for that. Yeah. You know, it, it, this is not the worst problem in the world. There's other ways to, to deal with it. But I, you'd, you'd just be like, if I'm going to build a couple hundred thousand dollars in wealth over the next 10 years via investment investment vehicles like short-term rentals, I'd rather just be able to use that for whatever the heck I want, including college, um, and take a little bit of a tax hit or less tax advantage situation than, than have it all kind of locked up in there and then have to get creative or in, in, in terms of dealing with it once it's in the plan. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on the health insurance situation. I know that that was something you mentioned in the intro, Mindy, that, you know, maybe you had some ideas about that. Uh, Currently we do not have health insurance and we have a medical sharing plan as well as a membership to a general family doctor that we pay for monthly. So we have had some health issues actually come up in our family within the last year where it's looking like we are going to need some sort of traditional ongoing insurance. Um, We have some kids that need some speech therapy and occupational therapy and meds and regular therapy and all the things. And so uh, it is looking like more of a traditional plan is going to be something we will be moving towards within the next year or two. I was going to say, when I first saw this in your notes, I was reminded of a recent bankruptcy by Charity Ministries, which was formerly known as Trinity Healthcare. They basically just said, we can't afford all of this, so we're shutting down. And the healthcare system in America is broken and needs to be fixed. But the health sharing uh, I have friends who really love health shares and I have friends who have been stuck with big bills because the health sharing decided not to pay it. So I don't like traditional insurance, but I think that's going to be the best way to go about it. Um, I don't know if a health savings account and a high deductible plan is going to be best for you. Somebody was listening to the show a few months ago and said that in almost every case, a health sharing plan is better than a a traditional plan when you take into account the premiums and the premium deductible and the fact that the health sharing account can grow. Um, So that's something, another reason. HSA plan. An HSA, yes. I'm sorry. Health, say health savings, sharing? yeah. Yeah, health savings plan. Yes, thank you, Scott. Um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and, and I'd agree with that. You guys have a great cash position, so there's no, there's no like, like you can have a high. You don't want to get crushed by a huge medical bill um, with that, but you can have a high deductible. I think, um, um, given your cash position, um, and probably will be able to arbitrage that. Although that that will depend on your the specifics of your your personal situation. Let me let me zoom back out for a second here, though, and say and say this. Why, why do you guys work in your own businesses instead of one of you taking a job that pays similar? Like, it, what, like what, what is, what, what's the rationale for that? Um, that could be perfectly reasonable. I mean, there's, there's a lot of advantages. I just, I just want to hear you guys think through it. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Yeah, for sure. So I've run my own business for about 12 years, so I don't really know what it's like, honestly, to work for a staff position. So I, I have a lot of benefits to running my own business where I can make my own schedule. I don't have to answer to somebody. Uh, I don't have, I don't feel like I have a glass ceiling above me as far as my income goes. Um, and so I think, and, and just my personality, like I, I like to work on various projects a lot. And, and I don't, I feel like if I work on the same thing over and over again, I get bored and I don't put a ton of my creative energy into it. So I would say that for me, um, I, I just really like the benefits of having my own business more than having the security of a staff position. And that, that, that's for me. Yeah. So for me, I could easily go out and get a job with the degree that I have, uh, for an agency doing mental health counseling. That would be very easy to do. That's a lot though. <laughs> so, um, working in mental health is a very hard job. So I own my own business because I want to have 
the flexibility and the autonomy and the freedom to do whatever I want. And that's sort of my personality anyway, is I don't really want people to tell me what to do. (laughs) So having the flexibility to do that is really cool because I can work three days a week and see the amount of number of do the amount of number of sessions that I want versus somebody telling me I need you to do 35 sessions a week. And then me just walking around as a burnt out zombie, it, it would be really hard. So that's kind of why I I think it's great. I will just say that's another one. I would just challenge you to at least explore, right? Um, corporate life, maybe isn't so bad as what you're making it out to be in, in some of these cases with it. You might be able to, make, to to negotiate some benefit, some flexibility, for example, or find a position that gives you some of those benefits. Um, and that would solve your healthcare problem um, to a large degree if one of you guys were to consider that. So um, not, not a deal breaker. You clearly are working around that right now with things, but it will be, you will have expensive um, options um, if for, from a self-employed perspective, the same challenges that people who are just financially free, um, or full-time real estate investors or full-time agents, um, will, will face, um, from an expense standpoint. So, yeah, I think that's a good point to really think about because with the, even trying to go into real estate, it is harder for us to get a loan because we are self-employed. Even if we do have the years of income to back it up, it's still, a lengthier and more difficult process. At least it was when we were buying our two primary residences that we've bought before. So uh, that, and then I think looking at the specifics of if I were to make, because it would probably be me, um, if I were to make a certain amount of money working for somebody else, how much money that would be with the healthcare already taken care of in a sense. I know I'd have to pay some versus how much we're going to have to pay out of pocket for healthcare. Yeah. I, I think there will be a, a decision to make there and you you absolutely, you will have to make your employer much more money than you cost, um, which is, you know, the, the, the deal uh, with, with that, but it could be that it brings in more income, provides similar flexibility and gives you healthcare um, options depending on, on how that goes. So it could be an option and, and it may provide financing, um, opportunities. So, um, if, you know, if those trade-offs are unacceptable from a, a time perspective, you guys are going to get rich one way or the other. You spend a lot less than you earn, um, and have a really strong position. So, but just some, something to think about as we're doing that is maybe revisit that, that assumption, uh, and, and, and at least explore it because it would make a lot of these issues easier in the short run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too, Scott. So I'm glad you brought it up because now you're the you're the bad guy. <laughs> um, yeah, we're supposed to tell you how to quit your job, right? On the show. Is yeah, that how exactly. So instead of go get a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if there could be flexibility to that because just because I work for somebody doesn't mean I could also not you know own my own business on the side. Uh, the goal for me actually is to not be a therapist come when our kids graduate from high school and to move into more of maybe like an online business or a coaching type position so that there's even more flexibility. Uh, cause I anticipate Wade probably traveling a lot more at that point once, uh, his career starts moving and he doesn't have to be home all the time because we have kids. So so something some to think about, I, yeah. I will tell you at bigger pockets, some of our uh, team members um, work 32 hours a week or 30 hours a week or whatever with that. Um, there'll be some rules like we can't, if you're not full time, we can't give you the full benefits uh, and there's some legal things and all that stuff. So there has to be, you'll, you'll probably have to meet some minimum cutoffs in order to qualify for certain benefits with that. But there may be plenty of flexibility um, and, and opportunities out there depending on what you're interested in. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time talking to you guys. I think you've got a lot of opportunities available. We want to keep going until until you're, you're feeling good. Yeah. Uh, do you have questions? No. I do you think... guys have questions for us? No, I, I think we got a great snapshot of your position. It sounds like you, you know, you have, you had a great journey to get here and you've, you've really, you got a very disciplined budget, um, consistent income in spite of the being self-employed. Um, so that speaks to a lot of discipline and, and hustle that over a long period of time, and clearly I, it, it appears to me that you've come into this like position of having this surplus and having some of the options to begin 
exploring more serious investments, I'll call it, um, in the very recent past, um, and, and really have all your ducks in a row at this point. And now it's kind of a directional thing. Do I want to go into short terms? Do I want to go into um, uh, long-term investment, investing in my 401k, um, those types of things. And, and I think it's, you know, there's an, there's an art to that. There's not really a right answer. Um, and I think we, we got through a good amount of that. I think you get big assumptions, um, to challenge is the self-employment always the right path. Um, certainly is working for you guys, but it could be reassessed to make it easier. Um, with you, if one of you were to get a job that would solve some of your problems here, um, or at least go a long way towards that. And then I think that the, uh, college savings, we gave our opinion on that, but we don't really have a right answer. Um, and I love the way you manage your cash, uh, uh, for the most part, I think it's a really smart way, given your current situation. If one of you were to get a job that would change because you would not likely need to have quite as much cash either in your businesses or in your personal reserve, but. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Wade and Chelsea, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Okay. That was Chelsea and Wade. And I think they have a lot of things going for them. First of all, we didn't celebrate enough that they're literally spending like 50% of their income. It just may not seem like it when they're in the middle of the, the month or two or three in a row where they have less than what they're thinking about spending. Yeah. And I mean, they've crushed it. And this is, this is something that we see now fairly frequently on the, on the money show where we've got a couple who's really mastered the basics of money, um, have a good framework in place and are just kind of popping up after several years of having paid off debt and built this stable financial position. They're like, well, what do I do now? I have like, and, and that's, that's a great thing. It's just, it's exciting because you've, you've paid off that debt. You've got the cash position. You're starting to do the retirement accounts, the surplus is there. And now the ocean of opportunities is exploding in front of you. And it's overwhelming. Do I go into real estate? Do I do this with my business? Do I invest in, in this, in this avenue? Do I invest in this one? Um, because the, the, the path has opened up so much because of the, the good habits that you've put in place. Um, and I think that's really fun um, because because it's it's kind of hard to see that other side while you're in the grind of paying off the debt, for example, which it seems like they popped up out of um, fairly recently, the last couple of years. Um, so that's exciting uh, and fun, and, and and now it's about kind of forming a plan and, and prioritizing that and and being comfortable with the with the choices, and that those choices can involve investing in four hundred one ks or self directed IRAs or SEP IRAs, um, uh, depending on whether you're self employed or employed investing in real estate, investing in stocks, yada, yada. It's just about what you want and how you're going to back into that. I really liked your suggestion to look a little bit more local for their first property. Um, I thought that was a great idea. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity that maybe they don't really... They hadn't considered just because it's it's so close. you know. And our market is expensive, but it's also really desirable. There's people that are coming here all the time to take advantage of what we've got here. So, and you know, when your property is an hour away, you're not necessarily going to drive to it all the time, but you could drive to it if you had to. And it's a lot easier to drive an hour than it is to hop on a plane to go to Florida to check out your property. Yeah. I'm like my, my, my wife and I vacation in Palisade, right? <laughs> Which is like right where they go. And we stay at an Airbnb and we spend lots of money there and think it's a great a great experience. So it's just, it's just kind of funny to me like, Oh, great. I'm going to go out of state to the Rocky mountain. Well, I've never been to the Rocky mountain or the, no, what was it? The, the smoky mountain, um, the smoky mountains to, to vacation before maybe, maybe I'll go there someday, but that's like, uh, it's just like, Oh, this is, this is what's in our back door. And people come from all over to go hang out where you live <laughs> at various times in the year. Yeah. I like that idea. I hope they look into it a lot more. Yeah. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. You know what? Before we do, I want to invite people to apply to be on the show. If you would like us to review your finances, please apply at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. And if you would like to tell your money story, apply at biggerpockets.com slash guest. Okay, now from episode 306 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, grab your pillow, armadillo. I wanted to issue a quick apology and say a quick thank you to one of our Facebook group members, Carly Reichardt. Carly called Mindy and me out 
rightly so, for spreading misinformation on last week's episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Show podcast. Um, we stated that gains in a 529 plan would be forfeited if they're not used for educational purposes, and that's simply not true. The gains in a 529 plan are simply subject to tax and or a 10% penalty uh, when they're withdrawn and used for things outside of educational expenses or qualified uh, educational expenses. So they can be a powerful and flexible way to build wealth, save for college, pass money on to future generations, and be used for other educational purposes. And there's lots of other interesting tidbits about 529 plans. They're a useful tool in the tax-advantaged investment stack for some people. Um, Personally, I don't use them. I may use them in the future, but I wanted to correct the misinformation that we stated last week. Certainly, the gains are not forfeited. They're just subject to tax and or penalty if and only if they're used for non-qualified expenses. So thank you, Carly, and thank you to the many members of our Facebook group for calling us out. I apologize. We apologize for the misinformation. We have a uh, responsibility to share truth and the correct information on this show, and we appreciate when we, when we do get that feedback. So please keep it coming, and uh, we will link to some resources on 529 plans. Thank you so much. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.